0: Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders, and innovators, who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. Well, hello, Kathy Gloats guest. I'm so happy to see you today.
1: Well, that's an honor. it's going to be fun. I just know. I already know it's going to be fun.
0: <laughs> I know that too, honey. I'm just singing my heart out to see you and learn all about you, cause you are a wonder woman. So, oh. um, I love to start out. Stop doing accents, Margot. No, um, I love, no, I start- love accents. <laughs> <laughs> I like to start out by asking about your childhood God. and uh, where you grew up and what your family was like.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that question. Cause it's such a big question and it answers so much of who we are, doesn't it? You're a therapist, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, yeah. um, X marks the spot on the map. That's Kathy. Um, you know, I grew up in a family. Um, I'm in the middle of, you know, five kids, a uh, large Catholic family, um, grew up in the Bay area. Um, my, my dad was a vet, He was a Vietnam vet, Uh, I later learned, you know, I didn't have a language for it, but I would later learn that my father had PTSD and I did, we didn't know growing up. I just knew that my, my dad had a lot of like, he, he was loving, so loving and kind and through no fault of his own. He had a lot of issues with some anger that would flare up and we didn't know as kids what it was. And it wasn't until later on that we realized, ah, you know, um, and I, I'd say my dad was actually very funny, too. And I saw moments of when he, you know, outside of that, which was not his fault. Very loving, very funny. And I remember growing up, my dad and I, um, in reruns, um, we would sit down together and watch, uh, like, Carol Burnett. Uh-huh. And I remember going, oh, my God, women can do that. And I remember my father going, you're funny. You're funnier than your brothers. You can do this. You can do this. And wow. I, And I just remember, you know, like, my dad and I, we would watch like so many sitcoms we'd watch. Um, I I was not allowed to watch Monty Python by my mom, but when she was out shopping, my dad let me watch Monty Python. (laughs) And um, I got to watch a little bit of Benny Hill. I got to watch (laughs) um, Dave Allen group. Um, I got to watch some of the things that my mom never would have let me watch. (laughs) It was our thing. And so, you know, my family was kind of dysfunctional in in all the ways that I think a lot of families are. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I will say that... um, I also knew I was loved in the in a dysfunctional way that was the best that they knew how. Yes. Yes. And I never doubted that I was loved. I think it was just a very, to the best of their ability, but both my parents had, you know, trauma of their own. And, you know, my mom was abandoned by her parents um, when she was young, she and her brother. And my father, you know, had his issues. And I, I, think, I think all things considered was a lot of humor. There was a lot of heart. There was some dysfunction. I think there was a you know lack of communication. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was a chubby kid. I'll tell you this: I was a chubby kid. You wouldn't know wow. it. I was a chubby kid. I ate my feelings, and I can remember that my weight and my acne were always. I was telling Jay this: we're always the subject of the the Thanksgiving table. Like we'd be eating, then all of a sudden, like you know, my mom and her ever loving wisdom, totally misplaced. Um, are you sure you want a second helping of that? Why don't you have? Right. Right. It was out right. and like in front of everybody. And then my acne was discussed, like all the things that Kathy had were discussed openly at the table. And it just so, you know, that's the family. Um, And my father um was very, my parents were super Catholic. So like, I would come home and I go, gosh, we learned about Islam today. We learned about Judaism. What if it's <laughs> the same God? And my dad's like, it's not the same God. Like, it is. <laughs> And he's like, it's not the same God. I go, but maybe it is you weren't there. How do you know? And then I remember my dad got mad one time. He threw the Bible at the wall, like it whizzed past my head. And then my mom's like, Kathy, you should apologize. What would Jesus do? And I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure Jesus wouldn't have thrown the Bible across the room. <laughs> like, <laughs> so loving, but but misguided. And like a lot of families, I think they, you know, you do the best you can So I never doubted the love. I just think that the way I grew up, I grew up with a lot of bad communication habits. We didn't know how to communicate. And I spent so much of my life, I knew humor was good. I knew I was good at it. My dad told me I was good at it. Uh And I, I thank him for that. A lot of women don't get told that. I was told that. But I also think that part of what I had to do and my whole thing was using comedy and humor and the language to take up space and to communicate better. And I was obsessed with that in part because I was like, I didn't even know until my twenties and I went into therapy because I got a job and I could afford it. I didn't know how messed up like our communications as a dynamic even was. I just knew it wasn't normal.
0: <laughs> well, what is normal is a setting on a washing machine. But there's but there's usually no talking about feelings. It's like, and I can so relate to being chubby and acne. And being shamed for it and, and having yes. this horrible body image. And then I look at pictures of myself. I wasn't that bad.
1: No, of course you were. You were probably hot. And like just that you're <laughs> your your own self-esteem, we were just shaped a yeah, yeah, way. Yeah. And then same thing. I look at pictures, younger pictures of me, and I was like, she was cute. She didn't even know she was. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, the that's shame. Sad. Yeah.
0: So um, what was school like for you? Did you have friends? And, and Yeah. Did you stay in the same neighborhood in San Francisco throughout your childhood?
1: So um we lived a little bit further south from San Francisco in the larger bay area but yeah I we we moved a couple times we you know my parents got a house and we uh you know um we grew up in this neighborhood I liked school. So it's funny cuz when I was younger I was I've always been a nerd like super like I loved school. It was my escape right? I love yeah. learning, I love reading, yeah. I love yeah. books, I love all that. And so I was a nerdy kid, but I was also like smart and funny. So I could balance it out with making bullies laugh. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I left me alone. At, they would pick on me until I made them laugh. And then they would leave me alone for the most right. part. Um, but I like school. I was nerdy. I loved to learn. It was like my escape. So to me, I've always been obsessed with learning and ideas and curiosity. Like, I think that's a hallmark of of improvisers, right? We yes, we're curious, yeah. curious. curious, curious, super curious. That's that was always me. Like, why is why are people that way? Why am I that way? Why is the world this way? And I've always been obsessed with like asking those questions. Yeah.
0: So when you got through high school, you went, I know you have an MBA. I do. So so did you go right from high school and did you do any acting at all in high school or?
1: I did a little bit of acting. I did a little bit of acting um, and I really liked it. There wasn't, you know, it's interesting because when I was in high school, we didn't have like an improv club. Like that's a recognized club um, in a lot of places today. Um, We didn't have that, but we did have drama club and I always felt like I partly fit in with the drama club. I partly fit in with the the nerdy club. I had a lot of friends that were jocks. Um I did play soccer, but I wasn't a jock. Um I so I kind of felt like I could balance a lot of worlds. Yeah. yeah. And kind of was a chameleon. And I think what I didn't realize is how much I was really improvising in my life at the time, but I was. We didn't have a I didn't have a language for it. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And so, um, and so when you got into, where'd you go to college? Where'd you go to your first college and what you study?
1: Yeah. So I did my undergraduate work in the Bay Area, a Jesuit school, very Catholic family, wow. uh, yep. a Jesuit university uh, called Santa Clara University. And uh, we, we dominated soccer. We were like, especially the women's soccer team was very renowned. We've known for Brandy Chastain and some other Allie Wagners. Uh-huh. Some other, some, a lot of these names are associated with Santa Clara University. Um, and so I went there and then I went to graduate school at Berkeley and Stanford. So, so I worked in New York after college, but my home turf is the Bay Area, truly, truly the Bay Area. Right. Yeah. So
0: when you went to Berkeley, was it at all a culture shock for you or... Um, because I know that I, when I visited San Francisco, which I, I love San Francisco the Bay area, and I was studying at Mills college for the month of January once. And, um, when I went to Berkeley, I almost passed out. Of course, this is back in the seventies. The smell of marijuana was rifting through the air, but it was just a, it was just an incredible experience for me. Yeah. How was it for you?
1: You know, it was interesting. It was a little bit of culture shock and I was in graduate school at the time. Right, Right. The thing is, um, so I got a scholarship to Santa Clara University because my parents had five kids. They couldn't afford like, so I was fortunate. I got an academic scholarship. So it was sort of predetermined that I was going to go there because that was the only way I could could really afford college. So yeah, I went yeah. there. And then, so when I go to graduate school, um, I had work experience at this point, you know, I but yes, it was a little bit of a culture shock because, you know, I came from, I grew up in this bubble of like you know Catholic Jesuit education and then you go to like Berkeley and there's like naked people walking around right right, right. like <laughs> <laughs> that's just naked dude or whatever that's just you know they're just a landmark and your head's exploding you're like what right, and so right. yeah you know it's interesting because but it but it opened my world it really opened my world to meeting some some people who were not like me and right. And for the first time, and I remember my parents going, you don't want to go to Berkeley. You don't want to go because Catholic parents, you don't want to go to Berkeley. And of course, at the time, you know, given that Santa Clara gave me a full ride, I couldn't say no. But um, when I did finally go to Berkeley and Stanford for graduate school and I met all these people and exposed to all these ideas, I was like, this is amazing. I should have done this earlier. But the bubble was popped uh, my cherry, my my intellectual, you know, curiosity bubble was was popped, and I there's no going back, right? It was like I met all these amazing people, a lot a lot like me, very curious, like me, yeah,
0: yeah. So and so then you spent some time in the tech industry. Is that what yeah. happened next? So you go to New York, yeah. where, where, and you're working in. Are you living in
1: Manhattan or what are you doing in New York? Uh, both. So I worked for a company that was based on Long Island, out mm-hmm. in, in Roslyn, Manhasset uh area if you know where yeah. that is. Yeah, yeah. That's my stomping ground. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well I worked out there. And then um we had a satellite office in um the Twin Towers. So so back in the day I would I would, you know, spend part of my time on Long Island in, in my corporate apartment was in Roslyn, But then I would, you know, commute and stay in the city with friends. And I worked in New York. So spent a lot of time in Manhattan and a lot on Long Island. And I loved it. I loved it, loved it, loved it. Um some of the best time I ever had. you know what I mean? and and eventually, after about five or six years, I, I you know, um, I came back because I met the man who is now my husband. So I was like, I don't want to oh, do this Mr. Distance. Guest, Mr. Guest. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, this isn't working for me. But what an experience. I loved it. I loved being in New York, loved it, loved it. Yeah.
0: Best time, especially if you're in your 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just the best place magical. To
1: live. Magical for a young person, and, single in her 20s. Hello. Incredible. And so much fun. So much fun. Yeah. So much yeah. fun.
0: Now, during this time, had you discovered improv yet?
1: Well, you know, the thing was, I, I have to confess that right after college, right after Santa Clara, um, I started doing comedy. I knew I was gonna do comedy. In some way, so I actually jumped into stand up, and you know Jay Jay will laugh because he's heard this story. Um, I started in stand up right after college, and so I was doing stand up at night while working in tech during the day. So I was sort of parallel pathing, but like I had my day job, then I had my night job, then day job, night yeah. job, and that's sort of how I um, started.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, about five years into about five years into doing that in my late twenties, I. Somebody saw me perform, and they're like, "You would be really good at improv." And I was like, "Okay." So I tried improv, but it, but it, but I didn't start out. I actually started out in stand-up. So. Now were you
0: doing stand-up in the city in New York?
1: A little bit, yeah, yeah. Wow.
0: wow! And, how brave and courageous you are!
1: You know, I, I liked uh, that. Is very kind of you. I liken it to not knowing enough to be scared. <laughs> the naivete of youth, right? You're like, Man, yes. sounds good. And like, if I had overthought it, if I had overthought it, I would have been terrified. And I yeah, think yeah. thank goodness that I think there's something about being young and dumb and naive and that, but there's a, there's an openness to that. That's beautiful. So yes. I, I didn't overthink it. And yes. And you're
0: fear and you're fearless. I can tell that you're fearless. Yeah. And I love that women warrior you're fearless.
1: I that's very kind again, you know, it's interesting. I don't, I don't think I'm fearless. I think I'm honestly, the the truth is I find that I do get afraid where, but I also realize that Margo, the the most afraid I am is when I overthink. And one of the things that improv has really helped me with over the last 20 years of doing it is really getting me out of the overthinking. When I go down a rabbit hole, it brings me back to present because I do, if I overthink I do, I do get scared. And I think that's a tendency that I have is because I think so deeply. I mean, I'm sort of a nerdy person. Um, I can overthink if I go down the rabbit hole, I am screwed.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and improv is a mindful activity. And, you know, they have all these stupid apps and everything for mindfulness. It's really quite simple. Be here now. Yeah. Um, Just be present. So um, where was your first improv class? Tell me about it. My
1: first improv class was in Los Angeles and I did a theater sports class and I was already doing standup. You know, I was going to open mics and getting better and better. And then I started to do showcases and then I signed up for like a theater sports class and did, then did comedy sports in LA and I loved it. And I loved it and I went, oh, there's something to this. And I really um, kind of fell in love with it as much as I love stand-up. They're very different animals, but I love them both. They're both my kids. Um, And I, you know, there was something about it that scared the bejesus out of me um, in a way that stand-up didn't. Isn't that funny? It scared me. And I think it's because I didn't have a set list. I had no notes. I had to just be really... There was no, there was no crutch. And I was like, this is scary, but also like in a fun way.
0: So at your first class, sometimes people, when they take their first class, get hooked. Were you hooked right away or did it take some time?
1: I was hooked, but I was also really deeply like kind of terrified because I thought, yeah. what? And I think because I came from sketch writing and standup where you have bits and you have your act outs and you actually have pre-written yeah it took me probably the first year of improv to even be able to not overthink but but that's it because I came from writing and it was a switch I had to use a different muscle and
0: yeah we um, don't write. We can't play. Right? We,
1: we can't. can't uh, no. We can't. We can't. And it just was such a different muscle, and it got me. At, it was like, what is this? And I think it was the first year I felt like a whirlwind. I felt like, honestly, there were times the first year of improv coming from writing, I felt like I wasn't good and I should quit. There were many times I thought I would, I should quit. Mm-hmm. But then I realized I don't like quitting. I don't like quitting. The only thing I like more, just more than being uncomfortable is quitting. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) So I stuck, I stuck it out. And then by the second year of improv, I started relying on my gut instinct and it just started to kick in. So I think it was just sort of unlearning or relearning or unwiring when to write a bit for a different stage. And then right. the improv stage, really being able to clear my mind and be in the moment. And that was a muscle that I very much love and I appreciate it now, but it did take me till my second year of improv to even go, Oh, I get it.
0: <laughs> so, so uh, we mentioned Jay JJ Suko for yeah. those who don't know, I yeah. should, this should be friends yeah. of Jay Suko podcast. Yes, it um, should. Be. <laughs> um When did you first meet Jay?
1: Well, the funny part is, is like when I was doing stuff in LA, I knew the name, but I hadn't met him. That's the funny part. I hadn't met him. And then I was writing sketches at, at second city in LA and i had taken, you know, a bunch of courses at UCB, um, but I had not met Jay. That's funny. I knew the name and never Uh as an instructor. And then when I came back up here, um, got married, you know, settled, all that other stuff came back up here. Then um, I started kind of bumping into Jay on calls in meetings and names. And like we we met after I was already out of L.A. That's when we actually met. That's funny. So it is funny, but it's our worlds are so small because, you know, I knew people that I had written sketches with at Second City. He knew people because he'd been there. And like we just kept he he kept uh, hearing my name and i kept hearing his name and that's when we finally were like hey let's get on a call and i just you know fell in love with his personality he's such so, so great he's so generous he's so kind and i said to him many times i wish i had had improv instructors that were that patient because when i came up in improv i didn't always have that net and and it was and i don't know if it was different for you but i think being a young woman in improv I saw a lot of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, yep, yeah.
1: And you know what mm-hmm. stuff I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah and yeah. i
1: I remember thinking, God, if I had only had somebody as gracious as Jay making me feel safe and supported on my journey. But I also then think part of what's made me open and safe when I teach is feeling unsafe having men yell at me, yes. men yes. call me names, having men make sexist comments and then nobody having my back. And I think all of that prepared me for teaching and building radical safety, the kind yes. that I wish that I had had. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So when did you start teaching improv?
1: Probably- and are you doing it today? Um, so I took a break this year and I'm going to go back next year. So I started teaching improv back in 2015, Uh something like that, 2015. Um, and it sort of happened by happenstance, you know, a a couple of theaters that I was on a, on a house team for said, Hey, do you want to teach? And I went, sure. Um, and you know, I had to kind of, kind of learn I knew how to teach. I knew how to speak. These are things I knew how to do. But I, I think one of the things that I think I had to do is also frame frame safety devices. And that—that that is something that I purposefully did. So yeah, in the last eight, eight, nine years, I've been teaching and going back to it next year. I took a little break this year. I was burned out from COVID. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah. who wasn't
1: who wasn't yeah. I was burned out and um but I I do love it I do love it and one of the things that I really really love is when I see people grow because they know they have a safe space to play yeah yeah
0: exactly and there's some I, great yeah. improv theaters in San Francisco Leela, and other places
1: yeah Lila. I'm doing a I'm doing a show at Leela this Friday
0: Oh, uh-huh. I, I love Jill Eichmann. I interviewed her a few months ago. She's great. Yeah,
1: she's wonderful. Jill is, Jill is a, a wonderful thing. We we do. We are very fortunate, uh, Margot, to have some really great theaters in the Bay Area, um, some of which, um, you know, we still have, I think, End Games. They moved. We have End Games Improv. Leela is wonderful. Um, there is comedy sports up here in the Bay Area, in the larger Bay uh-huh. Area. There's made up theater and made up theater theater was a splinter group that split off from um, comedy sports. And I know the founders there because I played with them at comedy sports. And so we have theater sports, Bay Area theater sports now bats. We have a lot of theaters. We have great theaters here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah.
1: So, um, yeah.
0: Uh, you had a bunch of podcasts. I'm going to name them out. Oh, we, we can't forget to mention your book too. We're going to get to that, but yeah. you had um, several podcasts going on for several years. Yeah. And what happened with that experience, Kathy?
1: I loved it. I loved podcasting. I learned a lot. I Somebody said, you just have a personality for podcasts. And I lo- I'm curious about people. So I love talking to people much like you do. I really love that. Um, and I think we were talking earlier. It's one of the things um, with one podcast that I did for about seven years is as it got more popular, I think one of the hardest things about it was that... Um, you know, it got co-opted by, you know, corporations wanting to sponsor it. Then, then wanting to, publicists were wanting to crowbar their guests in. And then, you know, unfortunately I made the mistake of having some guests that all they would do is do PR talking points. And now as somebody who, you know, did comedy at night and tech during the day, I knew this was a bunch of garbage and not the direction I wanted to go in. And I think after seven years, I kind of got burned out and I went, you know what, this is not the direction I want to go, and it made me it made me fall out of love with podcasting. Um, so when I went back to podcasting, I made a decision that I wasn't going to be co opted by any corporate bullshit or corpse speak. I really wanted it to just be. It, I wanted it to. People to feel safe to just have a have a human conversation like we are now. Like no prepared questions. Right, right, I don't right. I'm not gonna send you stuff in advance. You're an adult. Right, you, right. Know <laughs> you know, you're an expert. <laughs> and people were like, Can I send you questions to ask me in advance? And I was like, No, no, you cannot. I won't do it. And, you know, One CEO wanted to do a dry run with me so he would look, <gasps> he would look good. And I said, oh, absolutely not. So I said, absolutely not. And then so one guy insisted, um, And I made the decision to um, uh, have him on the podcast, Um, but he sent me like five paragraphs of his bio that he expected me to read on air. And I said I wouldn't do it. Um, And so then this particular uh, businessman sent me a nasty letter thinking he could talk to a woman this way. And I said, it's my podcast and I'm not having you on. This is Good this dream. ends. This ends. You do not know. The answer is no. <laughs> yes and no. No. <laughs> and yeah, no,
0: it could be powerful. Yeah. No. It, I just
1: said no. Nope. We're not doing it. And I realize that part of why I a big part of why I fell out of love with it is the whole point of curiosity and human conversation and being yeah, in the yeah, yeah. capturing capturing people's joy, just a human conversation. Everybody was so obsessed with how they sounded and sound bites and pre-planning. And I went, that is the opposite of what this podcast is. And I just got, I I hated it and I I stopped it and I said, all right, I'm not doing this anymore. Now, will I go back in some way, shape or form with that idea? Yes, but I need it to be 100% off the cuff branding talks. I cannot stomach this this whole like i've got to look good to everybody no yeah, yeah. i want real people with real conversations who aren't afraid to be vulnerable and maybe look silly and that's okay right and i absolutely. just absolutely and no absolutely. and no egos no ceo egos no I fragile am. ego <laughs> this is not this is not you know your podcast i am not your mouthpiece we're not doing that so that's kind of in a nutshell what happened and it just it it stopped being joyful for me. Yeah. But yeah. then
0: you developed a new project. Tell us about yeah. that. Tell so, us about that.
1: <laughs> tell us about it. I'll tell y'all about it. I will. Uh, So, <laughs> uh, so I, I, I really became curious about, you know, I came out of business. So I do have business background. I did lead teams for many years. So, yes, I have an MBA, I have a couple graduate degrees. But I'm also been doing improv and comedy for 25 years. So so I wanted, I was curious about why leaders use humor, particularly women leaders. So I was very curious about that um, because I know as a woman who came out of tech, I know exactly how we are conditioned and socialized. I know exactly what that feels like. So I was curious about that. So I I created a podcast, um, you know, Seriously Funny, Women Who Humor and like all about big humor, small humor. There's no one way to be. And what if I talk to women leaders about how they show up? And so I've got, I'm in season two of that and I love it. But the difference for me is there is no agenda. Like if I, yeah, yeah. If I don't get a bunch of CEOs on there or sell a bunch of stuff, you know, I'm okay with it, but it is mine. It is a labor of love. It is not being co-opted by brands. I, and, and that is something that, the minute that happened, it sucked the joy out of the room for me.
0: Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. So um, how, how can our audience listen? And I'm going to be asking you to give me some links that I'll put up with this <laughs> podcast. But yeah. where, where can we find that?
1: You can find it in Spotify. It's on Spotify. It's on Anchor. It is in Apple Podcasts. You can find it in all the places and spaces where those podcasts live. Um... I have uh, another uh, release I'm making this week, and I'm talking to a fellow comedian who also comes from a marketing background. She's a a female comedian, somebody that I have met along my business venture, and we both do uh, stand-up. So we're talking a lot about what humor looks like and what her lessons are, and I just hope it makes people laugh and think. But yeah, Spotify, Apple, all those places.
0: Wonder. well you're just a marvel you just keep doing the next thing and the next thing and i, I just can't get over all this energy i'm hearing here today. well
1: listen sometimes i i kick my own butt because i go did i really need to do that but i think part of being curious in the world is following where your curiosity goes and knowing when it's time that it stops being fun and i think when right. it's and when it starts being painful and, and joyless Um, Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a big red flag that I think a lot of us sometimes ignore. So follow the joy, everybody, because if you're doing it for someone else and it's not joyful, man, that's I mean, improv is all, you know, we're, we're taught to be present in the moment and to be mindful. So I'm trying to be mindful.
0: Wonderful. Now tell us about I'm using the royal we I don't know why I started doing that. Because it's, it's very <laughs> proper to speak in the royal we you know, but um, <laughs> you, start, you have a fan, Now the whole title is Stop Boring Me How to yeah. Create uh, Kickass Marketing Content um, po- Products and Ideas for Through the Power of Improv. Yeah. So when, when did you start writing the book? And what was that process like for you?
1: So the book is now about seven, uh, six years old, almost seven years. But um, the process for me was really interesting. Here's the funny part. I sat down and thought I would write a different book. And this is what came out. (laughs) Because the more I started writing about, um, you know, kind of, you know, improv, um, and, and marketing, cause I came out of marketing in tech. I thought the more I thought about it, I'd never seen anybody write about it. I think to my knowledge, I'm the first to publish a book on improv and marketing. And I, what I realized was when I sat down is like, it's not that people aren't creative. It's that people don't know how to start and they overthink it and there's fear there. So I wanted to, the guiding process was how do I break it down? Like I'm talking to my best friend and saying, you are so creative. You just maybe need a little help. So there is no right. There is no wrong. And I wanted people, anybody, anybody to be able to pick up the book and immediately be able to tap into their own creativity and also their team's creativity. So I made the book very, Exercise-driven, fun. Anyone can do it. Anyone can pick it up. And that's sort of what felt like the right book at the time. It wasn't the book I thought I was going to write. I thought I was going to write some bigger thing on branding. And it was like, yeah, no, that doesn't fit. So, I yes, Andy, whatever... (laughs)
0: No, I can't wait to read it and get my autographed copy from you, which we'll talk about later, because it sounds wonderful. And to add to my improv library, it just sounds... Have you uh, read a lot of books about improv yourself?
1: You know, I've read a few. I've read a few. uh, I've not read too many. And that is not because I don't want to. It's because my book list is so long and my time is so short. So I try to read books here and there. Um, I've read things on play. I have read, um, you know, Gwen, Gwen Gordon's just, just a genius at play. Um, I've read, you know, obviously I read quite a bit on, from John Stone. Like I loved Impro. I thought the book was poorly written. I know I'm going to get called on the carpet for this. He needed a better editor. The, yeah. idea, the ideas were genius. I think they were so brilliant, but I think it made for hard reading because it, it wasn't edited. The book could have been edited to be more, I think, digestible for the masses.
0: Um,
1: But I love the book. So yes, I do read when I can. And right now I'm very interested in things like curiosity and mindfulness. And I'm very interested in um, not even so much, you know, learning and development as much as how we break down walls how do we get past fear like i'm very um interested in that topic yeah
0: yeah um fear we're going to get back to that yeah. i don't want to forget it but um uh was there any improv book that really made a lasting impression on you one that you thought really this was a great book besides yours <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know i'm trying to think in the moment and it's like I know this is going to sound bad. There's so many good ones. There's so many good ones. I think most of the ones I've read have been great, have been great. I think probably in terms of like really big books, I really do think that, you know, Impro did leave an impression on me. Again, wish it had been better edited, but... I think the ideas were so important in that Mm -hmm. book, so important but there's so many and that's why it's so hard and i I apologize i'm blanking because there's no 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 no
0: no there's a sorry wall no sorries no apologizing um i'm glad to hear you say that about the johnstone book because i found it difficult to read and i was lucky to have a mentor who's also a psychologist who uses improv and therapy who was trained by keith and so i kind of learned that way which was easier for me we all have different styles of learning we have different
1: yeah different styles of learning i'm not a heady person i mean i am but i'm a doer so like less talking more doing that's that's sort of my approach and yeah no it's a heady book it's a heady book and honestly i think with a better editor i think it would be more consumable and i say that with love but yes
0: so (laughs) the word the word fear there's a lot of fear is an acronym for a lot of things the first one that comes to my mind is fuck everything and run um (laughs)
1: Or like I've said that or, a couple times,
0: yeah. Or false evidence appearing real. Yeah. So I'm going to hear your take on fear, and what are some strategies to help people uh, deal with that fear monster?
1: Yeah, you know, fear is. Gosh, you know, I, I it's here's the irony about fear is that fear is like my least favorite four letter word, F word. I have a few four letter F words that I love to, <laughs> um, free. F this, I all the ones. Um, fear. Here's the thing that's so interesting about fear is that we're so afraid of fear that we don't even like to talk about it. If you go into companies to talk about the word fear, they're like, "Oh, you use that word." And I'm like, "Well, it's real. We all have it." I I think fear is such a human part of for all of us. It's it's a it's a part of the human experience. Um, I think part of what we have to do is make it safe to fail that's the other four letter word the reason we're so afraid of fear is cuz we have we have this perfectionism a lot of us that you know we we've learned somewhere along the way that failure was bad and i think part of what we have to do is rewrite the relationship we have with failure and also i think we it's a team sport like i know that when i feel like garbage or I failed at something. I don't usually feel bad, but I need to process it. And having a team in your back, having an improv like team to support you that you can call and go, all right, I need to process why this didn't work. Um, I think having a team back, up, yep, re- rewriting your relationship with, with um, failure and seeing it as just learning. Just like, I know it sounds trite, but improv helps. Have, have have a team of advisors that love you radically um, that will help you process failure. But I think that's really it. And I really think if there was one thing I really wish that we would talk about more, it is fear. I wish we weren't afraid to talk about it because I think too many of us walk around not trying things because we were socialized that failure was bad and failure was awful. And you avoided failure because you didn't need you know five fucking... People at your job telling you you sucked. You didn't want to hear it all, day long. <laughs> so that right. We just play it safe, and so I really think fear is the big thing that every human has to find a way to break down for themselves. Some people have managed to do it. I tend to throw myself in, even if I'm afraid. And yes, I I I'm not fearless. I I am brave, but I am brave because of. 20 plus years of doing comedy and i know that even if i screw up it's okay it's just a blip it's just a blip in a larger trajectory of growth um
0: well and that's one of the basics of improv we hear it right away um Dare to fail. Dare to fail and be celebrate failure. And I, I teach as well. And one of the first things I teach people is the ta da! If they think they've made a mistake, ta da! And Yay! um and have fun with it because there's no mistakes. We're making it up and as we go along.
1: There's no and, right. There's no um, wrong. Be curious. Be curious. I think we're trained in school. Don't you think, Margot? Like, as you're a therapist, you know. I think we're trained sometimes. Like, there's only one correct answer, and so yeah, much yeah. school teaches us that. There's a right and there's a wrong. I don't think that's true. And I really wish more schools would teach creativity because what we need to teach people is how to think and how to take risks. And if anything, my comedy journey for me as a woman in the world taught me it was okay to take up space and it was okay to take risks. And it was okay as a woman in the world to be fucking funny and own it and not apologize for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, for years they were saying, you know, women can't be funny. I actually sat on a a panel at a local university several years ago about debating that very issue, which is is crazy. Just crazy.
1: Did we have an all-female panel discussing if men can be funny? Let's do that.
0: (laughs) It's very hard for them sometimes, isn't it? You know,
1: they, um, just, they just, you know, God willing, maybe some of them can be funny if they keep working at it.
0: Yeah. But they have to work very, very hard, don't they? <laughs> so, so one thing that fascinates me is, fasc- fasc- fascinates me, blah, 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 is I. Um, I've gone from improv to sketch. I'm in love with sketch. I studied uh, at a place called the Sketch School online, and I just love it. Nice. And um, it's, it's so wonderful because people, it's online, mm. and um, I've taken all the levels, I'm taking them again, and uh, it's just Great. like a new world for me. Yes. And, and, but you were kind of writing sketch before you even did improv, right? That is correct.
1: That is correct. I came from stand-up and sketch. So I came to improv very much as a writer, which I think probably explains why that first year of improv was so damn hard for me because (laughs) everyone's like you're a natural improviser well sure fast forward 20 years but like you should have seen me when I started I was like "Uh," because you took away my sketch you took away my set list my my bits that I wrote you took away my writing and I had to be in the moment and so um yeah sketch is beautiful I love sketch there's something beautiful about seeing something come to fruition in three four minutes with A big button on the scene and something that just explodes into laughter and silly, silliness heightened, silliness heightened. Yes, yes, something yes. yes. Beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to me, it's a beautiful art form. I use my stand-up and my sketch every day, it never goes away. But just I would say the same thing about you know, improv. And if there's one thing I tell improvisers, do stand-up and sketch, and if there's one thing I tell my stand-up and sketch people, do improv because I think they are interdisciplinary cross-disciplinary one the other will make you stronger The, the other will make you stronger you know Wow. That's inspiring
0: me. You're inspiring. Yeah.
1: Oh, it's Um, so much fun. Isn't it fun to have a silly idea and then write a sketch around it and see it come to life? Isn't that oh yes,
0: yes. I love it. I love it so much. And I have enough improviser friends who I can get to do online reads of my sketch, which is really fun. And and sometimes I have people in my classes read one of my sketches. (laughs) Oh, isn't
1: that the best? The right the writer's room is the best. The writer's room is the best when everyone's laughing or somebody has an idea to make your sketch better better and you realize that oh my god they see my vision they're making it better this is amazing it's a beauty to me like the writer's room at second city when we were writing sketches was the most beautiful thing on the planet and i'd never that was collaborative to me that was improv because we were all Yeah. yeah you know together doing stuff that was beautiful yeah
0: so Kathy, have you written your letter to Santa yet? And uh, I want to follow up. What do you want for Christmas?
1: Bad to naughty Santa. <laughs> naughty Santa. Naughty Santa. But I think, you know, I, I imagine Santa to be a little naughty. I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, he's got to have a wicked, twisted sense of humor. I mean, yeah. let's, let's, you know. Um, you know, I I don't. Ha- I haven't written to Santa in a while. But, you know, uh yeah, I love the idea of Santa reading letters. I should write a letter, huh? I should
0: yeah, write a- Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can write it to me and I'll pretend to be your Santa. You know, Steve Martin did this wonderful yeah. bit where he wished, you know, for Christmas, you know, peace on world and the world and all the children to be, um, you know, fed and get nice yeah. gifts and then yeah. multi-millions for me. And he kept going on and on, but it was really more about him as the sketch went on. I, I, just I love, love Steve Martin. I just
1: think he's so great. He's great. I w- Well, I would add to that. I would yes and that. I would heighten that. And I would say, yes, I want world peace. I want there to be no more wars or suffering I want to obliterate poverty, um, bigotry, um, hate, um, more love, um, more love for me, uh, while the kids play with their Xboxes. I would like my husband to spend more time with my Xbox. <laughs> 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 Howdy, Santa, could you? Uh, <laughs> I'd like my stocking stuffed a little bit more frequently. I would just like to be. I would like, along with world peace, I don't mind a little bit more. Yes, ending of my bank accounts. Um, I would like all those things. I think that's a lovely, lovely idea. Yes, indeed, and to, and to vanquish my enemies. Um, you know, just little things like that, yeah, little things like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't
0: want much, you know, just a yeah. multi million dollar mansion on the beach. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. I like, I like, I like Big Sur a lot, I like Eslin. Oh, have you ever been oh there?
1: I haven't, it's beautiful. And you know what, I would do, I love that idea so much. I want to live in Monticello or Santa Barbara, like get me a house oh. on the beach, Santa. That's that's what it, get me a house on the beach next to Megan and Harry. All right, yes. like I want. <laughs> like if you can make that happen, I'd really like it. And if not, then I'm gonna out you, Santa. I hate to say it, but uh, you know when kids found out that I, I was I was doing the work and there was no Santa, so hashtag times up, Santa times. Taking right. credit for women's work. <laughs> How dare you? How dare- and also. I have been naughty this year. So there you go. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, you know, Mrs. Claus is seeking a divorce because who knows what stockings he's been stuffing. She I just doesn't you. trust him anymore. She's been on a diet. She's looking good. Great. So, uh, she's
1: she's keeping it tight. For, I mean, she, I mean, a thousand, two thousand years. She's looking great. And you know what, Santa, you should spend more time at home. And look, you got the L's. They should unionize because, you know, they're yes. probably they're probably not getting paid enough uh they should unionize and also you should spend a little bit more time like look after look after mrs c i think she deserves a little tlc so yeah i don't know yeah maybe be a little more present at home Santa. yeah yeah yeah
0: because you don't know one day she's there next day she's in palm beach with all the other celebs
1: or maybe she's run off with an elf i don't know i mean yeah yeah. they're in love (laughs) i don't (laughs) she's looking good and he wasn't there so all i'm saying is santa Keep the flames burning at home, okay? (laughs) Maybe maybe you needed to appoint a successor. Maybe it's time for you to retire. I don't know. I don't
0: know. Yeah. Yeah. Great fun. Well, listen, I have had so much fun today talking to you and getting to know you, Kathy. And oh. um, I know that my audience of the multi millions uh, who listen to this podcast Amen. will be following you and finding you as well. You're a delightful person, and um, you, somebody who you're not fearless. You said, but you have courage. Yes, and that's a, a big, big heart. And you've got yes. a wonderfully big heart.
1: Oh, thank you. Back at you. I think most improvisers do. I think that's why I love improvisers so much. Yeah. Because in a world where it's so easy to yes, but it's so lovely to meet a yes and spirit, you know, and we don't have to be perfect. We'll figure it out. That's, that's really it, man.
0: That's right. Well, again, thank you so much. And, um, and I will look forward to sending um, out this podcast with all the links that people can find your wonderfulness. Kathy, you're, you're a gift. Thank you
1: so Aww, much. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.